is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. All right, all right, all right, all right. We are back for another action-packed episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard only on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem, and also on podcast. That's a very Matthew McConaughey introduction listen i was watching i forgot what a time to kill with matthew mcconaughey i don't which, know that i've seen it actually i did not know he was in that movie read the book he's in every movie this is true <laughs> read the book first of all i thought matthew mcconaughey just turned into a good actor no he was a great actor who did a great movie and then did a whole bunch of c plus b movies right and now we're in the mcconaissance so it's <laughs> <laughs> the mcconaissance yeah is that a thing yeah it's a thing it's the i did not make thing. that up it's the mcconaissance where he's in every good movie and he's a yeah, phenomenal right? actor yeah no, no, no. he's, he's been like around right he did a lot of crappy you know rom-coms for a while but yeah, now he's back he? on top he was like hey I, I gotta do these things over here for my contract he was good in the lincoln lawyer he was good in the link. I mean, he's great in a lot of things. If you watch Days and Confused, that's like oh, yeah, one that's of the best movies ever. And yeah. that, he was in that a long time ago. So you see, guys, Matthew McConaughey is more than just good looks and all right, all right. But anyways, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And we are here for another Littington episode. And this week, it is going to be very exciting. But before we get into int- to, um, segment topics, let me introduce myself. My name is Stanley Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz, on Snapchat at DarkSkinSwindow, on Instagram at Stan Fritz, and on Facebook, look for a post that has 97 comments and it started some kind of race war. As <laughs> usual, you can call us here at 212-650-6903. We'd love to hear from you. Just don't curse at us. Jackie? Hi. How are you guys? Right. You good? I'm good. I'm really tired. My mom woke me up very early this morning mm. and asked me 10 million questions at once. You and still I think she's with your mama? That's mm. called Jewish mother syndrome. I was home for the <laughs> weekend. I um celebrating Father's Day a day early. Happy Father's Day to fathers that are listening, to mm-hmm. single mothers, to, you know, anybody who resonates with father's day um you can follow me on instagram and on twitter at jackie cohen that's j-a-q-i-c-o-h-e-n and i am Alyssa fuchs and i am glad to be back on uh, on the radio today after a hiatus last week and of course a hiatus next week for the pride parade it is pride month if you didn't know wanted to point that out also wish a happy father's day to my dad and a happy father's day to my stepdad and a happy father's day to my grandfather i can't forget about him either mm-hmm. um but i'm Alyssa fuchs i am your political and legal correspondent um, I say legal things and explain legal concepts. Today, it's going to be obstruction of justice. Fun. All right, since you want to talk about what you're going to talk about, let me tell you what we're going to talk about on the show today. So we're going to kick the show off with something very exciting and something very positive. School segregation. Raise your, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> raise your hand. <laughs> Uplift the crowd. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Raise your hand if you went to a school where most of the students looked just like you. I'm raising my hand raising here we're all raising well, our actually hands. that's not true for me when i went to high school it was pretty mixed because i got bused to west Hempstead high school you got bused to so, so where high school i got bused from island park to west Hempstead high school because we don't have a high school you guys don't have a high school no because mm. we're a really small town so because we don't have a high school we got bused and because we got bused to west Hempstead, it was pretty mixed and diverse she had seven black kids in the <laughs> no actually there's probably more black kids in west Hempstead high school than there are white kids mm, so so this went to bt university so guys after we're done talking about the school segregation issue which believe it or not is just as bad if not worse than what it was when brown versus Board of Education was passed, we're going to switch
switch gears, and then we are going to be talking about, guess what, Philando Castile verdict. We'll also be talking about Katy Perry saying she's sorry for culturally appropriating things. We'll talk about Michelle Obama being fine and all those other great things in the news roundup. And then we'll switch gears all the way and talk about the Flint water crisis. Just when you thought that things were starting to cool down for them, an official, actually five officials, were charged with involuntary manslaughter. And of course, there was that one official who had to leave his job because he said the water was contaminated with lead because all of all of those N-words. Yep. And when we're done with that, Alyssa will <laughs> finally wrap the show up. Yeah, it's really depressing, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So Alyssa will wrap the show up with telling us about obstruction of justice and just how much danger Donald Trump is in, if he is in any at all. Alyssa, teaser, is he in any trouble? Uh, that d- remains to be seen. I think the most difficult thing is that... Um that uh, what's it called? He um, it's going to essentially come down to a political calculus, I feel like, because even assuming that he is guilty of obstruction of justice, um, generally speaking, as I talked about during my impeachment quickie, sitting presidents don't get indicted. Um, so it's really going to be then up to Congress whether or not and uh, at least the House of Representatives to decide whether or not to issue articles impeachment for the conduct. That sucks. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that. Oh, and by the way, so Selena's not here with us this weekend because she had to go to Miami to quote unquote work. But according to her <laughs> Snapchat, she's been doing nothing but eating great food and partying. Although she did post something that was like, haven't posted to social media at all because I've been busy. But I don't what? think that's... <laughs> <laughs> but like, I guess it's Selena turns. She hasn't posted to social media at all. But for like the rest of humanity, she's posted quite a bit yes she has <laughs> so guys if you are just tuning in for the first time i want you guys to know that we are on facebook live we are also on no, we're not right now oh well we are on twitter live as well and you, if you're listening on the fm frequency we appreciate it you can always give us a call at 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 and jackie how else can people talk to us if they'd like to how else can they talk to us yes. call us tweet us Facebook comment on our facebook live we'll answer your questions right on the air um you can download our podcast which we highly recommend that you do and catch up with us later um and you can drop in the studio you can write us snail mail you can i don't know call my mom and tell smoke her smoke signals you think about the smoke, show. Signals. smoke signals carrier pigeons because we got enough of those only certain smoke signals now we're not accepting other types of smoke right. signals <laughs> Well, I am. So anyways, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be all about school segregation. Oh, well, we are back to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, it is Stanley Fritz in the studio with my blue Michelle Obama 2020 t-shirt. And I'm also here with Jackie Cohen and Alyssa Fuchs. Selena Hill is not here because she is hard at work in Miami, Florida, drinking mimosas and eating great food, I guess. I mean... Lying on the beach. (sighs) Word. Poor Selena, working so hard on that. Our thoughts are with you, Selena, in this hard time. (laughs) I went to her Instagram, follow her at Miss Selena Hill, by the way. And she was like in a bikini, like, oh, my God, I'm having so much fun. I'm working so hard. (laughs) When I go to Albany, I am not having that much fun. I know. It's like you and I had the opposite work experience where we get sent to a really cold, sad place. (laughs) Yes. Oh, wait. I was in the Capitol on, because, you know, this is like the last couple of days of the session for 2017. So I was in Albany on Tuesday on Wednesday actually on um, Tuesday and Wednesday and on Tuesday we had a voting rights press conference I right saw. there at the park right across from the Capitol building and we created a voting obstacle course and oh a God, s- Brooklyn Assemblywoman Diana Richardson and Brooklyn Assemblywoman Latrice Walker they both ran to the obstacle course it was 94 degrees outside they are we sculpturing hot amazing it was um and it was so ridiculous so that's what I was doing while Selena was somewhere in Miami 
sitting in front of the beach. Working, working. Didn't you know? Working. Yes, working, working. You know what? And it talks about the <laughs> Selena disparity. Selena works very hard. Yeah, it did talk about the disparity. The disparity between Selena's life and my life. She gets to meet Oprah and all these famous people, and Stanley gets to stand in the heat in Albany and hand, hand out bottles of water. Speaking of disparities. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know I was going to a disparity? What? <laughs> I know. I am going to a disparity, guys. I have a big surprise for you in case you did not know. New York State, despite being the quote-unquote liberal bastion of the world, is one of the most segregated cities in the entire country, exceeded only by Milwaukee, and that about seven, and pardon me, by Milwaukee, which means about 78% of white and black people would have to move in order to achieve perfect integration. Number three on that list is Chicago. What a surprise. Yeah. In terms of poverty concentration, statewide patterns indicate that as a school becomes heavily minority, the school also becomes more low income. In New York State, white students are usually in schools where 30% of the people in there are upper middle class or even rich, whereas black and Latino students are more than likely to be in schools that have high concentrations of black and Latino people and high concentrations of poverty. But if you're thinking that just black and Latino kids are suffering from this in New York State, it's not as clear cut because because of this gross segregation in New York State, white students out of any other racial population are the least likely to go to school with someone from another racial group. Ever wonder about that white ignorance? Well, maybe that's why, because they have zero exposure to other students from other places of the world or other colors besides maybe cool gym teacher Leroy Brown, who also coaches the basketball team. But before we go ahead thinking that New York State is just horrible and, you know, they segregate their schools and their communities <clears throat> and that the mayor doesn't want to do anything about it because he probably can't and the governor wouldn't help him anyway, we should understand that school segregation is not just a New York problem. It is a nationwide problem. And it is actually and arguably has gotten worse since Brown v. Board of Education wow. has gotten was one in the Supreme Court. And if you're wondering why, well, a couple of factors play into this, and we won't get into all of them at this very moment, but over the years, you've had conservative groups who have specifically gone and challenged that case. President Nixon supported challenging that case and appointed Supreme Court justices who would be friendly towards striking down Brown versus Board of Education. And in the Supreme Court case that happened in the 80s, it was decided by the Supreme Court that education was not an actual right. So within all those things happening and all these these moving and changes in our country and our communities, segregation has pretty much just exploded. And in this conversation today, what we want to do in a couple of ways is, A, talking about why segregation is happening, besides the point that I mentioned today, kind of question how bad schools have gone from being like racially divided to district divided. Talk about whether charter schools are the solution for that. Talk about why Brown versus Board was not the ultimate fixer of this problem. And, of course, what needs to happen next. Because as much as we talk about New York State being a liberal bastion, it is a serious problem. And the states that are getting it right, or at least the regions of states that are getting it right, would surprise you. So to start off this conversation, I kind of just want to get kind of a response from you guys mm -hmm. after hearing some of these numbers. I want to start with Jackie. So, Jackie, hearing these numbers, growing up in New York, what do you think about it? I mean, I grew up in New York in a school that to say I grew up in a suburb right outside New York City. And to say that my school was primarily white is like an understatement, right? Yeah. Um, I really didn't experience what integration in school 
was until I went to college and I went to a state school and it was it was interesting because I had a lot of friends go to private colleges yeah. and I found that even though I was in New York State, I was in upstate New York, everybody for the most part that I knew, like there was a few exceptions, but most people that I went to school with were from New York. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't very diverse um, in that sense. Most yeah. people from the same state, but it was way more diverse than the schools that I saw my friends go to at these private colleges that, you know, cost $55,000. Before I get to Alyssa, I had two questions for you. One, did you have any black students in your, in your school at all publicly? At all? Yes. And like, um, but a ahead. very but a very small number. I mean, I went to a very small school in general um, con- compared to other high schools. I think there was 220 people in my graduating class, but mm-hmm. by far the majority was white. Yeah. I mean, I as a Jew was like in a minority in Westchester County, right? Wow. In Westchester, which has a large Jewish population. Junardi. Yeah, Junardi. <laughs> I was in the Junardi. Um, yeah, no, it was not diverse at all. Um, not religiously, racially, ethnically. I mean, there was there was clearly a stark contrast between where I went to high school and then the state school that I went to for college. All right, next question for you. How, what, what was it like going to um, SUNY Albany? Sorry for shouting you out like that. Yep. You How, you know. Was there an adjustment? <laughs> that was so nerdy. <laughs> was there an adjustment to all of a sudden being around these new cultures? Was there like a learning curve? Was yeah. There extension? Talk to me about it. I mean, like you, I always like thought of myself as like, I am like such a liberal, right? Like even before I got really into politics, like I knew I cared about like progressive issues, right? And like I knew blah, blah, blah. And then I got to college and realized like, oh, I have privilege. Like, I never thought about privilege before. Yeah. Um, and I never thought about white privilege because I never had to. Yeah. And then getting to school and sort of being called out for it and, mm. you know, meeting people that had completely different experiences than mm. me. And, I mean, that's just an eye-opening experience for anybody. Well, hold on a second. I really want to get to Alyssa, but we got we to gotta push on this a little bit yeah. more. Can you... I, I know, I know. So... You talk about this privilege. How, like, give me an example. What made you realize you had privilege all of a sudden? Like, I never grew up having to fear police, right? Mm-hmm. And if anything, like, police were, like, in my town where I grew up were sort of, like, they came and busted up parties, but they were never, like, any real repercussions, right? And so I think I, I went to college really, like, trusting authority mm-hmm. um, and then learned sort of how much I you know I I had an experience with a friend who was not white who um when cops were called they were really really aggressive to her and that was the first sort of experience I had with cops being aggressive in that way and I was sheltered from that my you know like I never I just didn't have that experience because I had white privilege and didn't you know yeah that's our society that we live in unfortunately and so I think I mean that's one of uh, many examples right but I think just in general like being around people with different experiences, whether those are religious experiences or cultural experiences or whatever, like teaches you a lot that you just don't know and kind of broadens your world and makes it less narrow. That's a good point. So now I want to get to Alyssa because she had a different experience than you did, Jackie. She went to a school where there was a healthy mixture of black, Latino and white. Alyssa, like, how, what was that experience like for right, you? Yeah, I was going to say my experience is definitely different than Jackie's. Well, I should say, like, growing up when I went to public school before I got to high school, I predominantly grew up in a middle-class white neighborhood on Long Island. Um, but because Island Park is a unique situation where Island Park actually doesn't have a high school because it's such a small town. Um, and so because of that, at least when I went to school, you only had one option if you weren't going to go to private school. And that was that the white kids actually got bussed um, to West Hempstead High School, which is about 
30 minutes away. And West Hempstead is a much more diverse neighborhood than Island Park is um, in that West Hempstead is bordered by Lakeview, which is a predominantly black neighborhood, and by Hempstead, which, and, uh, which is also a predominantly black neighborhood. And so there is a lot of race mixing going on in West Hempstead. So when I went to high school, um, I would say it was like a pretty good mix. I I, I couldn't tell you the exact breakdown, um, but I want to say it was like maybe a third black and two thirds white. It may have even been even more diverse than that. Um, So that's definitely a different experience because I got to grow up going to high school um, in a place that was very integrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that also contributed to the reason why I'm very much involved in social justice issues today um, because it wasn't unlike Jackie I didn't wait until I get to college to sort of have that experience Mm -hmm. Um, some of my best friends growing up in high school um, came from different cultures different races different backgrounds than I did Um, so I I definitely think that's an interesting experience but I think that also the experience that Jackie and I have growing up in the suburbs is also much different than the experience that students have growing up here in New York City yeah, Jackie? Yeah, and I think that was something really interesting in thinking about school segregation in New York City specifically. I mean, there's so many different factors that play in, and a big part of it is housing and, you know, where you live um, and geography and, you know, housing markets and what people can, you know. That being said, um, in New York City, unlike the suburbs where it's, like, way more spread out and you have different pockets of different populations and these different suburbs and sort of towns, wherever, New York City, everybody's, like, on top of each other, right? It's a sm- Especially Manhattan, it's such a small island, right? And so, um, you know, one thing that I heard sort of, criticism of New York when it comes to segregation in schools is that, you know, New York, we pride ourselves as being this like liberal city and you step on the subway and look at the diversity. And I think that's true, right? You step on the subway and there's no more diverse sort of representation of what our city could be. But pay attention to where people are getting on and getting off, right? And everybody goes home and sort of silos themselves off. And that's a big problem, right? And so while it may on the surface appear to be a very diverse city, we are incredibly segregated. Right. No, I mean, I was going to respond to that as well, which is, you know, when we talk about school segregation in New York in, in, in particular, um, we have some of the most segregated schools, as you pointed out at the beginning of the segment. Um, and then obviously we have to talk about why. Um, and one of those reasons is that, you know, just the way the communities are broken down themselves, which is we don't just have segregated schools in New York City, we almost have segregated communities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like you can talk about communities that are predominantly white in New York City, communities that are predominantly black in New York City. And then obviously you also have the issue of gentrification, which is now something that we are really seeing. But also in terms of gentrification, what we're seeing is a lot of young white people like my age, Jackie's age, moving into neighborhoods that before that were predominantly black, but those people don't have kids. And so because a lot of people our age don't have kids that are now in the school system, you're not getting the diversity in the amongst the younger generation that you otherwise may have in those neighborhoods now amongst old, you know, people our age because of the gentrification issue um, that still isn't solving the problem. So then you have to ask yourself, well, you know, in order to solve this problem, you'll have parents that say, well, I don't want my kid to go to the white school because I don't want them getting bused that far. I would rather be them be in a school that's closer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they'll say, but I don't want to have such a segregated school. Um, and then you'll have the white parents saying the same thing. Like, you know, I want to have integrated schools, but I, you know, don't want to put my kid on a bus to travel all the way from Brooklyn to, say, Harlem to, to go to an integrated school. So then you also have these parents coming into play with their own um, 
you know, issues about where they want their kids sent to school, and that can exacerbate the issue, even if it, even if these people otherwise are in favor of more integrated schools. I, you know, listen, that's a very good point to make. I do want to just be very clear. Unfortunately, that's not one of the biggest reasons that we're having this large swaths of school segregation. So one of the biggest reasons that was pointed out in a study done in 2014 is that there has just been less defense of um of like school segregation. So while you have more groups pushing to segregate schools or doing things that would in theory segregate schools or cause deeper separation, there has been less of a pushback from other people trying to address that. And one of the reasons that people have been doing that is the school choice movement, which has moved up in recent years. Instead of trying to reintegrate these schools, what they have done is said that Schools in black and brown communities are underperforming, which they are, for a bevy of reasons, which include lower taxes, lower funding for the schools, just not enough resources altogether. And their, the solution, instead of trying to reintegrate these schools, has been charter schools. And in New York City in particular, with the five boroughs, Bronx and Brooklyn in particular, where they have the largest concentration of charter schools, seg- segregated schools are almost at 100%. About 95% of the charter schools in New York City in particular have about 100% as far as like black and Latino students and you rarely ever find white kids there. Um, Just another one of those things that we're talking about in relation to segregation, we really had to take a, a deeper look at redlining because mm-hmm. if you look Absolutely. at a state like um Chicago where it's very obvious redlining where black, literally if you're born in a certain community and you have a certain skin color, it is almost impossible to leave that community or that financial status. It is very difficult to transfer into better schools. So I, I do want to shift gears just wait, a little wait, before bit. Before you do, I just wanted to make one comment that I wanted to add to that. So I was actually just watching Orange is the New Black, the new episodes. I don't want to spoil it, but there's this really poignant scene um, where one of the black girls, uh, they do a flashback to when she's in school, when she's like, I want to say in like seventh or eighth grade. And she goes on a field trip to a school that's up in Riverdale. Well, this is based on a real story, story. that actually NPR put out where they did a school swap where they did um, one like um, you know, whatever, like whatever county day school in Riverdale versus a school in, in the South Bronx. And they did like a, you know, like field trip day um, for each class of students. And you had a group of students that went from the school in the South Bronx to visit the school in Riverdale and vice versa. And, um, you know, the teachers that organized this trip were thinking, OK, this will be great. They'll see, you know, you live so you live in the same borough. You go to school minutes apart like this is going to be an interesting thing. And I think that some of the teachers thought this would be inspirational or whatever. And what ended up happening was a lot of students, especially from the school in the South Bronx, these were like high achieving students, went and visited the school in Riverdale. And I think one of whom dropped out of high school after this visit because they felt like, okay, we're at these high achieving students, yet we go to this white school and we visit for the day and we see all this like ridiculous wealth of resources that they have. And no matter how hard we work, like this is not something that we get right, right. in return I mean, she and says at the end of the scene the game is rigged against me right she, she you know she goes from a straight a student at least in the show uh to a d student and when and when the teacher asks her why and she says it's rigged like you know no matter how hard we work we're never going to get the kind of resources that our white counterparts have mm-hmm. and resources are obviously a big issue that i know stanley wanted to get into talking about yeah so i don't want to get into resources guys but we do have to go on a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about that resource gap and we'll also talk about the story of ps 307 in brooklyn new york
underfunded. We don't even have no computers. Hey, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Alyssa Fuchs and, of course, the immaculately lame Jackie Cohen. Hey. Selena Hill is not here because she is at vacation. Oops, I mean, she's at work right now in Miami, Florida, enjoying the sun and the fun and the foods and the beaches. And if you're wondering, we have been talking about school segregation in the United States, particularly in New York State, but we do want to go abroad and we also want to hear stories and experiences if you have them. So if you do, please give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. If you're shy and you don't want to be talking on the phone, you can leave us a comment on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash let your voice be heard radio or even on Twitter because we're live on Periscope right now. What's up to the two people watching? Twitter.com forward slash be heard radio. And when we walked away, we were talking about some of the lack of resources that we see in these schools of color using the story that we got from an episode of Orange is the New Black that Alyssa watched where a young lady went who comes who's from the Bronx, went to a school in Riverdale to see how they were living and they were living much better. And because of it, she felt like the system was rigged against her. Well, was this just theater? Was this art imitating life or life imitating art? Well, I'll tell you something. Actually, schools where you have black and brown students tend to have more teachers who do not have all of their certifications. They also have to, they also tend to be more likely to not have the most updated books. They also tend to have lower reading score passages and lower math score passages. They also tend to be schools that are missing funds to do certain things like, I don't know, pay for heat, pay for air conditioning, make sure the schools have updated facilities. School lunches. That's school- a big one schools where you have a high volume of people who get free school lunches they also tend to have situations where there's a lack of security or they have high police engagement in those school buildings so when you're talking about lack of resources for black and brown schools you are definitely seeing something there it is not just an episode of orange is the new black it is also real life but why is this happening because so some people on the, on the right might would make you think that the reason this happens is because black and brown students just aren't they don't have good family values they're rougher they're more violent their education is not as strong and they're just bad quality people and that's why they don't get the resources that's why their buildings are falling apart that's why they don't have books and that's why their grades struggle would you guys agree with that assessment yeah yes you would agree with that assessment <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, there's a lot of different issues, as I say all the time, like issues compound with one another. So, right. you know, like all the issues are related to other issues. So well, let me. So you guys think that the reason I want to be clear about what I said. Yeah, maybe we're misunderstanding. Yeah, you. I think you guys did. So the reason these schools are doing so bad is because these kids, black and brown kids, have poor family values. No, oh, oh no, that no. I wouldn't agree with. Sorry. I thought you were talking about the reason these kids are doing better because all the other issues you mentioned before that. So oh, okay. My, yeah, no, my bad. no, 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 no. Obviously confused about what. No, no I the mean. reason. <laughs> no, it's because there's zero, and I mean, there's a million reasons, like Alyssa said, um, like with little investment and um, just care, just general care from those who get to make big decisions about where resources go and investment you know with money and i mean we know that in schools where money is spent and investment is made into children um generally speaking the graduation rates are high regardless of whether the community what community they come from we know that kids that go to school that provide high quality lunches um although who knows if that's going to be the case anymore now that michelle obama is not making sure that your kids are eating healthy because apparently 
you know, Donald Trump doesn't care whether your kids eat healthy. And of course, like all issues, that issue would impact poor, the poorest students the most. Um, but I mean, it's definitely a resource issue because you can take somebody who is from a really, really poor neighborhood who had uh, grew up maybe in a broken home. And if you give them the education and the attention and a good teacher and the resources, then nine out of 10 times that person will still end up growing up to be a great student, to graduate, to get a good education and in theory, maybe get a good job. Although that's sort of a different issue because, you know, we have issues with the fact that like it's not the 1980s anymore and it's very difficult to even if you do the right thing to still get a good job and obviously there's still discrimination in the hiring process but putting aside that issue um you know there's studies that have been done that show this so i would absolutely disagree with people that say that oh it's just because black and brown people the students aren't motivated like it's absolutely unqualifiedly linked to resources Right. And, but I also think that there's, you know, there's always this narrative of like, regardless of what's happening at home and like you can be from this kind of home, like anybody would fail in that kind right. of. And that I think is the important part is that we're not just talking about like extreme circumstances or what, you know, we're talking about systemically anybody that any child that entered a school that was underfunded and, you know, not invested in properly and didn't have the correct resources and great teachers and whatever would fail. It doesn't matter what kind of home they're coming from, right? Anybody would fail, black or white. And so I think that when you see, I mean, this is why this issue really hasn't um, gone anywhere, I think, in a lot of ways, is because the issue is seen as funding, right? Like, we just had to fund, you know, these charter schools or we have to fund these magnet schools or these all these different schools and not taking a step back and looking at integration as being the key issue here and saying, okay, well, some schools are getting these great resources and some schools aren't. And maybe there's an issue with, you know, why these ones, these, you know, type A schools are getting all these resources and the type B schools aren't. If you guys have a question or a comment, give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio, where we are streaming live. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, it is Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio, also facebook.com forward slash that. Alyssa? Yeah, I mean, the other thing I wanted to add is we can't forget, like, the historical underpinnings of where this all comes from, right? So, I mean, uh, these issues are directly linked back to Jim Crow, back to the original desegregation of schools back to at its ultimate core white supremacy and the white supremacist system that is America, right? Mm -hmm. And so you look back to 1954. In fact, when Brown versus Board of Ed was first decided in 1954, that was a decision that was made that the schools had to be integrated. But then guess what happened? The schools did not listen. And so there actually had to be a second case that went back up to the Supreme Court versus called Brown versus Board of Ed 2. And a lot of people don't ever talk about Brown v. Board of Ed 2. But what Brown v. Board of Ed 2 was about was these schools were not complying with integrating their schools and so we like the plaintiffs had to go back to the supreme court and say hey you gave us this ruling that says we have to have integrated schools but these schools are not actually complying with actually integrating the schools and so the supreme court then had to step in and actually literally enforce school segre- school desegregation among um, and and in the face of that was of course people like george uh wallace right um who was like segregation today seg- Se- segregation, segregation now, now segregation, segregation forever to, yeah. right and he was literally the governor of the state and the police force was accountable to him and so they were 
perpetuating this continued white supremacy. That's back in the 50s. Then after that, the schools get integrated because the Supreme Court forces them to. But then you still end up in situations where the way people settle down, they end up in, um, you know, in segregated neighborhoods. And so even though you don't have de jour segregation anymore, you have what we still see today, which is the de facto segregation. So we can't forget all of that because it's all relevant in terms of what exactly is going on now. Alyssa, that was 150,000% spot on, but I think even within those great spot on this, you missed one focal point. Schools were literally going out of their way to stop desegregation from happening. One school in Maryland closed down all the public schools in the town and created private schools and provided scholarships for all of the white students just so they would not have to integrate. That happened in Michigan. That happened in Maryland. That happened in Virginia. That happened in Mississippi. Several places where they did that or they would just when it came time to redistrict, they would cut all the black people out of the district lines and then put all the white kids in that district and put them in that school district. So and that was still happening as of maybe just two years ago. It's not it has not gone away. So you're 100 percent right. But I wanted to add that piece in there. And I do want to shift gears because we're talking about districting. We're talking about where you can stay. I want to talk about the school at PS307 in Brooklyn. So it was a young woman. If you go to Twitter, her name is Ida Bay Wells. She talked about when her husband and her were trying to find a good public school for her daughter. And what they wanted to do was put her in a school that was diverse but also had good grades. And they knew that, unfortunately, in New York State, a lot of schools where you had the best grades and the best chance to win, it was mostly white. And they did not want her to be in a school with only white people. They wanted her to be around her own people. So they put her in PS307, which was a school that had pretty much just managed to, um, that took care of the kids in the Farragut Projects area. And it was, it wasn't doing that bad, but they had a new principal and it was really turning around. The young lady went to that school and she really started to flourish. Park Slope had a school. I forgot the the name of the school. Forgive me. It was overcrowded. They began to move white parents into that school. And all of a sudden, the school was getting all kinds of new funding. But Park Slope (sighs) parents who had kids in in this new PS307 school were upset because, guess what? All these black and Latino kids were in the school already. And they felt like their kids were going to be in danger. That you should just put, kick all the black and brown kids out of that school and put them in a neighboring school. That was failing. And I should mention, this isn't a so-called liberal enclave in yes. Brooklyn. Park, Park Slope. Slope. Yeah. Park right. Slope. And then just move all the kids who had been in the overcrowded Park Slope school into that school. It was a two-year battle that just wrapped up. Jackie? So I'm glad that you bring this up because getting back to the initial question that you asked us and you asked me was, you know, like, did you, what was your experience like after leaving your very segregated school and going, you know, to SUNY Albany, which was a much more diverse school. And I think that this sort of, and my response being like, I thought I knew, I thought I was like the super progressive. I thought I was like so woke and I wasn't right. And I think that this particular instance speaks to that exact scenario, right? That you, you're, we're talking about Park Slope, Brooklyn, which prides itself on being this like liberal center of the city, right? Yet when it push comes to shove, you have all these parents freaking out over sending their white kids to a predominantly black school. And I mean, I think that this speaks to a broader issue, which is that, it, you know, there's a huge, there's so much hypocrisy on the left, Right. The left can say and specifically the white left. Right. The, you know, Medi- white mediocre whites. Well, yeah. Mediocre whites on the left can say how much. I mean, we're talking about schools integration. Right. This is like the 
original civil rights issue. And you will never hear somebody who's white and on the left say that they're against it. But when push comes to shove and they have to send their kid to a school that's predominantly not white, they're not going to do it. Right. And that's a huge issue that speaks to a huge hypocrisy on the left that we need to overcome. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, I said it before, like it's it's NIMBY syndrome in some respects. And I know it's not totally all that, as Stanley pointed out when we were off the air. But we see this in not just in school segregation, you know, in school issues. It's like you have these mediocre white liberals that say that in theory they care about these issues. But then when have to face with them directly, they're like not in my backyard. I can give you several examples right now, right here in the city. Number one, the marine transfer station. Where do we mostly have marine transfer stations? In poor black and brown mm-hmm. communities. They want to build a marine transfer station on the Upper East Side. Everybody on the Upper East Side bugs out. I mean, I didn't bug out. It's actually in my neighborhood. I'm happy that they're putting yeah. it there. You know, we they're, have to take some of that brunt too. They're putting a lot of block away from the project. They want to. They want to put. They want to put. Well, that, it is. It's. It. It is. Um. It's like in that weird area where. But, it's, but I mean, like here. Second thing: homeless shelters, right? So this is not just with schools, and and so I think it's important that we point that out. That this is also an issue with mediocre white liberals who say they're in favor of these things, but then when faced with the confronted with them being in their backyard, whether it's their school. Go- their kids going to integrated schools, they're being a homeless shelter built uh, a block away from where they live, a marine transfer station, or some other thing that's been affecting black and brown communities forever, and then they're outraged about it. Well, you know what? Those are also people that we need to say, like, hey, if you're really, truly progressive, and you're really, truly liberal, and you say you care about these issues, and you say you care about civil rights issues, these are all civil rights issues that you should care about. Stop being a not-in-my-backyard lib- liberal. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. So now, guys, um, I do want to wrap up this conversation and I want to do it on a bit of a higher note. So okay. I'm going to be doing a little bit reading here because this is information I got from um, ProRepublica, but talking about desegregation wins. So have you guys heard of a place called Louisville, Kentucky? Mm-hmm. You is that have. the South? <laughs> Louisville Slugger? That's right. Louisville. I played softball. <laughs> Kentucky Bourbon. Oh, yeah. We know, you I know, you know all about that. I know all about that. Well, <laughs> so I'm going to read to you about one instance where desegregation has worked. And it is still working to the point that they fought at, all the way to the Supreme Court to maintain that it still happened. And I'll give you a hint. It had to do with busing like Alyssa. So ever since the court forced them to integrate in the 1970s, the city of Louisville surrounding Jefferson County has tried to remain diverse. Though the region fought the integration at first, many residents and leaders came around to the idea and even defended it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The county which borders Indiana on the south and spreads across 400 square miles and encompasses census tracts in which more than half of the population lives below the poverty level and tracts in which less than 10% does, has no struggling in the inner city schools there. And they credited it to the busing of black, brown, and Latino children into public schools all across the state. It is one of the most desegregated places in the entire United States. And unlike Detroit, which is not too far from where the schools are usually failing and not doing well, and also extremely segregated, Louisville has seen success through integrating their schools. So we know that it can actually work when people make an effort to do it. And you know what? There is a chance that if we focus on really addressing this, that we can have more schools like Louisville, where most of the kids are passing. 65% of the kids there who have math and, and reading exams, 
they're passing. 65% of the kids, sorry, 85% of the kids are, are graduating from high school. And you see a lower amount of poverty and lack of support in the public schools in that area. What does that take us? Well, it tells me that we are shooting ourselves in the, in the leg despite the black kid or sometimes even the white kid or the Spanish kid. And we might be better off if we just all work together and integrated our schools. The things that cause this deep segregation in our school systems, very easy to pinpoint. Angry white people redlining, districting, and of course the private charter school agenda which just wants to make money off of black and brown kids who are surrounded by failing schools. But if we made a real effort to make sure that our children had equity in their schools and were sharing their resources with people that didn't look like them, then we would improve their quality of education. We would also help to reduce the amount of racial tension within groups because once you work with other people, you get to know other people, it just decreases the chances of there being racial tension to begin with. And then finally, we can stop claiming to be a liberal bastion that is not actually a liberal bastion because as we speak, there is a white family somewhere in Park Slope fighting to get a black kid out of their school because they don't want thugs there. And that is a problem. So with that being said, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, it'll be the news roundup. And we'll be talking about a lot of things, including how Nicki Minaj and Remy Ma are still beefing. Yep. They're what? still beefing, guys. Yes. Summer Jam screen. We'll be back. I promise you, swear, swear. I'm Hanny apple juice, <laughs> hey Hennessy, with some apple juice, mmm, whiskey, with some ginger ale. Wash it down and your breath smell like hell. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard <laughs> on ninety point three FM. Stick to your day job. <laughs> My day job is rapping these rhymes, beloved. Oy. That's you right. know, did you, you know, you are not getting paid. Can, well. <laughs> can I actually start it off? Because I just thought of something that well, you just reminded me of. Before we do, let me just finish this introduction because we have some people who are just tuning in. Probably not. But if you are <laughs> to tuning the in, masses that are listening yes, right now. <laughs> to, the, to the two plus seven listeners <laughs> to my dad on Facebook Live. To We're Mar back up. Call dad. us. Call in. We want to hear your story. To Marilyn, who's probably not even listening. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 no, FM. No, Marilyn's sleeping right now. Yes, yeah, she is. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And we have just finished a conversation about the quality of education in New York State and the U.S. in relation to school segregation. And if you're wondering who I had this conversation with, it was with Jackie Cohen and, of course, Alyssa Snap back, painted backwards, Fuchs. And <laughs> if you want to give us a call or say something, you should because this is the perfect time to do it. It is the news roundup where we talk about things that made us laugh, cry, curse, or flip a table. If you did one of those things. I did things, all of those things this week. Did you? Yeah. Well, Trump is still president, so yeah, we all right. did. Right. Every week. <laughs> yes. And you can you can join the conversation by calling us at 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. radio. Or on Facebook Live because we're there as well. We're almost and, there. Oh, you know what? We're I haven't somewhere. even shouted out Politically Preposterous today. My bad. So polit Politically Preposterous, which is Alyssa's very, very popular, very, very large Facebook fan page. Leave us a comment or two. Yeah, definitely. Um, so actually, you know, this is an interesting thing that we were talking about uh, or that you just made me think of, I should say. So um, Jay-Z was inducted uh, this week into um, the Songwriters Hall of Fame and Barack Obama actually did that induction ceremony. Um, oh, cool. And if you haven't seen it, it's really, really good and very enjoyable. Um, and it's just cool that, you know, 
our great, amazing um, black president who, you know, everybody loves and we miss terribly, um, was doing the induction. And as part of this, he also talked about Jay-Z and how he gives back to the community in terms of dealing with some of these issues that we were talking about earlier during the first segment. I'm glad Obama's doing cool stuff like hang gliding with Richard Bronson and giving Although Jay-Z awards he's or like whatever. He's been getting some crap about that, about like how... Well, yeah, because people will never let him live. And they didn't for eight years, and they will continue to not let him live. And Those people gave us Trump, so I don't care what they think. <laughs> By <laughs> right. the way, just to go back to Jay-Z, do you know what he's doing on his Father's Day? Uh, welcoming two new babies. Yes, oh, that she, too. She had a birth this weekend? Yes. Buddy's also bailing out fathers from prison. Right, yes, that was the other story that I wanted to mention. Oh, sorry. Yes. I had to make it about Beyonce. <laughs> no, the more important thing, yeah. But did you the headlines it says Beyonce's husband bails out men from it. prison listen Jay-Z is possibly the greatest rapper of all time and the first rapper to go into the song but Beyonce is fame. just the greatest of all exactly time. he will always just be Beyonce's husband I'm sorry <laughs> Jigga man <laughs> But, like, that's pretty cool because, you know, there are a lot of people, particularly in Rikers Island, who are sitting in prison yeah. right now. They haven't been charged of anything. For, like, un- and, like, have under $2,000 bail. Yeah. They're literally sitting there because they're poor. Right. Exactly. And now Jay-Z's going to bail those people out. And that is amazing because they'll be home with their families and they'll be out of that hellhole called yeah. Rikers Island. Oy. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> you were going to go into a new story. I should have gone into a new story, shouldn't have I? Well, before I go into a new story, I want to let you guys know a couple of things. One, we have just revamped our website. So if you go over there and you have a moment, go to lyvbh.com, same URL, and check out our new website. We're now hosted on the Medium, which gives you a couple of cool new features. You can now follow individual authors. You can follow the website. So whenever we post something, you'll get an email about it. And of course, Medium is just cool in general. But don't follow Stanley because he's a loser. She's pretty right about that. And also, if you love us and you want to support us and you want to see us prosper and flourish, then please, guys, we have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Radio, where you can choose to become a subscriber to let your voice be heard. You can subscribe as little as $1 a month or $1,000 a month, whatever you want. I subscribe $1 a month because I'm going to write it off my taxes. It's, it's, like, um, it's like going to the Museum of Natural History. It's a suggested donation. So we suggest that you donate something to us, and um, we appreciate any donations that we get especially um, from you know our longtime listeners and fans and those who have donated to us before because that's how we keep this show going we can't do it without you and we appreciate it and like Stanley said you can donate a dollar a month you can donate a thousand dollar a month a thousand dollars a month if you got it it like Stanley is donating a dollar a month so I suggest you donate a thousand if you show them up Exactly. And you can always donate to us at whcr.org forward slash let your voice be heard radio. That is always an option. But anyways, guys, enough talk about giving us money because you love us. <laughs> Let's get to the sad stuff. Hey, this was a week. This was a week. This was a week. So can I tell you? So first of all, besides it being a week, Donald Trump tweets out, can't believe I'm being investigated <laughs> by the for firing a guy that the guy that's investigating me told me essentially to fire. confirming that he's being investigated yes and then once donald trump tweeted that out the guy that told him to fire the other guy allegedly and hired a person to investigate him rosenstein rosenstein forgive me he put out a statement that says americans should be cautious in taking statements from government officials saying certain things unless it poses to a specific country wow. what exactly wow Yes. I don't even understand what's going on in the White House right now or ever. Does anyone understand? Okay, so if you understand what's going on in the White House, give us a call because we would love to know. Um, We know it's not just Kofifi. (laughs) Although I think that's really what is going on in the White House. Um, You know, but speaking of the White House, 
um, and of political things. Obviously, you probably heard that there was a shooting uh, this week. Um, yeah. A congressman, Steve Scalise, who notoriously and famously voted against stricter gun laws, um, was shot. Um, he was not killed. They say that he is doing better. He was in very serious condition. Um I know there's been a lot of people that say, I don't feel bad for him because of the way he voted on gun laws. And I will say this, I feel bad for his family. Um, you know, it's never good as, you know, to have a family member go through that. And there's other people's families I feel even worse for, which we're going to talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, you know, like black men that are innocent and shot by the police after they tell for them they no have a gun uh, for no reason. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the craziest thing about all this is after this is all said and done, Republicans go back to Congress and the very next day they're talking about loosening gun laws and making it legal to have guns with silencers and also extending concealed carry to Washington, D.C., which sort of didn't even make sense to me because the shooting happened to Virginia. Well, just one second. I'm sorry, because I know like you're talking about Republicans loosening these gun laws, but Let's be very clear about something. So the narrative in the media has been that this was a left-wing radical that is doing this and that we should be cautious of Bernie Sanders radicals because of this. The shooter had multiple domestic violence complaints against them, including at least one official charge and still had a firearm. Mind you, there was a there was a law, I think a bill or law that was up that would ban people with domestic violence backgrounds from getting firearms. Republicans fought it. That is the bigger issue. We know that if you are likely to put your hands on your spouse or on your child in a way that leads up to charges, you are probably likely to shoot someone. And still, we are letting things go and allowing anyone to have a firearm. And that is a problem. Don't you know this is America? Any idiot gets a gun. You get a gun and you get a gun and That's you right. get a gun. But if you're black and you have a gun, you'll probably get killed by the police. This is just one of those issues where I have lost all hope. And I, I think I know that's sad. And that might not sound good, but I just don't see, I mean, the amount of gun violence that we see in this country every year, aside from the mass shootings that we've seen in this country that are unparalleled to other nations. There was two other shootings that happened that day. I know. And the fact that we continue to do nothing, it doesn't matter if the people that vote to loosen gun laws are the ones being shot at. It doesn't matter if it's children. It doesn't matter if it's unarmed men driving home with their girlfriends. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. The fact that people continue to get shot and lawmakers continue to do nothing is, like, beyond my comprehension. And I don't know how... What needs to happen? And it scares me, right? It scares me that something... Is it that something really horrible needs to happen for there to be action? I don't think that it matters. No, I don't. Because if that was the case, then it would have happened after Sandy Hook. If that wasn't good enough for them, that children, literally three, four, five-year-old children getting mowed down by an assault rifle while they're sitting at school by somebody who's deranged, who I know got their, got the guns through their mother um, because she was negligently or recklessly keeping them in the house. And, and stricter gun laws may not have necessarily prevented him from getting the guns but cap the magazine capacity um regulations would have potentially restricted him from having a magazine that had 30 bullets in it that could fire off 30 rounds at once every single time or actually i think he had a hundred capacity magazines. it doesn't matter what he it had. doesn't the matter fact the fact is it would have been much more it would have been much easier for in theory a good guy with a gun to take him down had he had a 10 clip rifle and had to stop every 10 shots and reload that rifle that's just like common sense but why would there have been a good guy with a gun in a elementary school? No, I agree. I'm just saying, even if there was. And now what we're seeing is an increased presence of people with guns in these schools. Well, there are bears around. 
Speaking of bears, <laughs> speaking of bears, black people. No, um, if you guys have been hiding under a rock, you may not have heard about, and I'm, I'm going to probably mix up the names because there have been so many black people shot for no reason. Uh, I think it was Alton Sterling. No, Fernando Castile. Fernando Castile. Fernando Castile, the young man who was shot in his car after he told a police officer that he did have a registered gun in his glove compartment. The cop told him to please show his ID. He went to go show his ID to show the license, and the cop shot him. His girlfriend slash fiance at the time faced live streamed the entire ordeal. That cop, not guilty on all charges. I mean, are you surprised? Again, this is another issue where it's like, what has to happen for there to be any kind of police reform? Like, you know, I remember when, especially after Mike Brown, like everybody was really excited about um, body cameras, right? Like, this is going to be it. Now we're going to catch these guys and expose them for what they do. And we're going to prove that they do it, right? And even when we have that proof, nothing happens, right? We, We fail to convict police officers that shoot unarmed, innocent men in cold blood, right? What like what needs to happen for there to be change in this? I mean, listen, as somebody who does police misconduct work day to day, you know, I mean, even like the lawsuits, they don't they bring justice in the form of money, but they don't actually necessarily bring changes to the law itself. And it I don't mean, bring we, anybody's life back. Right, it doesn't bring anybody's life back. I mean, we see this in terms of the big class action settlement that my firm just had. It actually has injunctive relief in it. It has things that the city has to do to sort of reform the police department. But in terms of police shooting black people, the kind of reform that you need are not these like on the ground like broken windows types reforms what you need is what uh, better training as to not think that every black person is scary just because they're black I mean the guy who shot Philando Castile was actually a Mexican American and so there uh, you know obviously there's these things I mean he is a light skinned Mexican guy who obviously the 12 white people on that jury related to um, because of this whole issue about like racial sensitivity and so that's the kind of training that police officers need and not just that police officers need that's the kind of training that we need to be teaching our kids from very very young age because part of this has to do with social conditioning they have done multiple studies on this issue and found that uh, um, it doesn't matter whether you're black or you're white when you are seeing somebody who's black who may have either a gun or a cell phone um, you are more likely to shoot at that person thinking that it's a gun than a cell phone if they are black so what they did was real quick a controlled study and they put um, a black man in a room and he either had a gun or he had a cell phone and then they had somebody standing there with a, a gun having to make the decision whether or not the other person had a gun or a cell phone in order to shoot them and obviously Obviously, it wasn't a loaded gun. It was a simulation. It was done doing virtual reality. And what they found was it doesn't matter if the shooter was black or white or a cop or not a cop. If the person in the room pulled something out of their pocket, whether it was a gun or a cell phone, if that person in the room was darker skinned, they were more likely to get shot regardless of the color of the shooter, which tells you a lot about our own social conditioning and the bigger picture issue of things we need to fix in this country. So let me be very clear about this. There are one or two ways that we are going to solve this problem. One, we are going to destroy the system of policing altogether and had to rebuild it from scratch with people who have equity and a purpose or police officers will start to get shot. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. And I don't promote nor do I endorse violence against anyone, particularly against police officers, but there's only so much you can keep on shooting people unarmed or not being violent towards you and then not being held accountable to it before people blow up. You just can't do that. 
And and no matter how much you want to say justice is on your side, when the camera says something different, when the witnesses say something different, when the circumstances say something different, but you keep on walking away scotch-free, it's only a matter of time before someone or someones are going to say, we're tired of this. If you don't believe me, go look up how the Black Panther Party started. It's right. A, I mean, that's literally it. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and then, then we started seeing more gun laws in the state of California. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe we need black people walking down the street following cops with guns in their hands to make sure they don't abuse people again. And maybe that's what will stop it. Because other than that, I don't see how you hold the institution of whiteness or this white-centered racist criminal justice system accountable. And, guys, if you want to call in with a question or a comment, you can. Our number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Alyssa, please. Please tell I mean, me you have some good news. Listen, I, 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 do, I do have some good news. I'll get to a minute. Actually, some funny news. But I just wanted to make one more comment on what you were talking about, which is like the issue is bigger than just the black men that are being shot by the police. Those are obviously the cases you hear about. But what you don't hear about is what like I deal with on a day to day basis, which is black and brown men constantly being falsely arrested, criminalized, abused by police officers, um, locked up and thrown in jail for crimes they didn't commit, um, subjected to excessive force and all the these other things that fall short of somebody actually being shot and killed. Those are the things that are happening every single day all over the country. There are hundreds and hundreds of police misconduct attorneys working on these issues that could tell you thousands of stories of, of, of all these other stories that really do get overlooked in because we're always talking about the police shootings and that's not to say that the police shootings aren't bad. They're obviously bad um, for the reasons that uh, Stanley mentioned that I'm not going to rehash. But just keep in mind um, that every single day black and brown people are criminalized and in some cases for not having done anything wrong simply because of the color of their skin and that is also a problem that we need to be focusing on um so just to switch gears a little bit and after giving that impassioned rant and give you some good news or some funny news as i like to call it so apparently the trump organization declined to renew a whole bunch of websites related to ivanka trump some of these include ivanka furnishings.info ivanka decor.info ivanka's rugs.org IvankaBath.org, IvankaTrumpLamps.org, IvankaSheets.org, and it go, the list goes on and on. But suffice to say, these websites are now all available. So if you are interested in oh. owning IvankaLights.info or IvankaTrumpBath.info or IvankaSheets.org, that is available Ivanka, for your purchase. IvankaLamps.nyc. Um, that's probably available also. But apparently somebody at the Trump Organization um, was inept. Oh, wait, that's everybody over at the Trump Organization that's inept all the time um, and they forgot to re-register their domain names. So these domain names that's are now really for funny. the taking. Get your domain names today. But, but I know we got to wrap this segment up, guys, but I want to bring up one last news story, which I think is very important and which I think tells us the direction that Let Your Voice Be Heard, that the organization needs to go in. Donald Trump just appointed a wedding, his, his son's wedding planner, planner and an event planner for Trump organization to run housing in U.S., a wedding planner. She claims she has a law degree from, a, I forgot what school it was. The school says she's never even stepped foot in that building, that they never accepted her. She has no degree there. Wait, she's working like at HUD? Or? Yes. Oh, we're getting some Facebook comments. It's real dream team over real, at HUD right oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> Alyssa, what are Facebook comments? Um, yeah, so uh, these are not about the story you just mentioned, but they're from Anna Sampson. She says, preach, Stanley. And she says, we aren't surprised. We are mad as... H-E double hockey sticks um, that you can tell someone you have a weapon and that you are only reaching for an ID and you can still get shot not only on Facebook Live and in front of his fiance and the government gives it an okay because he was a black man. 
wow it's it's pretty it's pretty true so guys yeah i'm damn it guys i was getting a good laugh off of the wedding planner thing you brought me back <laughs> like some people are still fired up about this philando castile yeah. case he died in cold blood and for what and they're probably going to sue the police department and they're going to win and get a bunch of money maybe but his four-year-old daughter was on was in the back of our car she watched him die that's what we had to deal with right absolutely i mean it's just a terrible situation Jackie, you got anything else for us that I you want to e- add? I don't even know what else to say. Like I said before, like how, what needs to happen for there to be a change? It's, it is incredibly disturbing and horrifying. And I, yeah, I it, don't even know what else to I say. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, what needs to happen is that we have to have an attitude shift about the way we think about race. Um, and that's not going to happen until we start talking to each other. We need to talk to each other. We do need to talk to each other. So real quick, guys, before we go on break, we do have Bruce on the line. I want to let Bruce let his voice be heard. It is Father's Day, so we're going to give him, instead of 40 seconds, 60 seconds, oh, Bruce. Snap. You got 60 whole seconds to let your voice be heard, Bruce. Go ahead. Do your thing. Oh, great daddy's day to all the daddies in the world. That's that. Uh, great Father's Day to anybody that's out there that's his daddy and females that's been doing the job of a daddy. Uh, you know, I want to just mention something about um, the senators that got shot out there in Virginia. Alexandra. Yeah, it was in Virginia. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like um, the president himself went on this slur about the country coming together now because he got shot. This, that. And it's because of him that the level of violence, you know, just had went up a few notches. And, you know, I, I want to know if the Democrats really going to take, take the bull by the horns and exacerbate this here as far as now when he comes out of his recovery, is he's going to still have the same position as far as freedom of gun, having guns you know, that he had. Uh, and the president, it's like, it's one of those things where he just really is not even owning up to anything, you know. And it's really because of him that that character got shot. And I, I really feel that way because that's what the uh, uh, the, the suspect was really uh, uh, saying. Okay? Thank you very much for that comment. Um, He's probably not going to stop that. Listen. Donald Trump and his administration may have colluded with Russia and at the very least are up to some pretty bad practices. That's something that's bad for the entire country and they won't do a damn thing about it. So I very much doubt that one white man who got shot when a whole bunch of white kids got shot in Connecticut and killed didn't didn't make us do anything about gun laws. It's going to change anything. Scalise will come out. He'll say he's better. He'll thank people who thanked him. He'll say something about bipartisanship. He'll say something about Jesus. Then he will move on and keep on trying to support bills that will go after black and brown, low-income people while giving more money to the super rich, including the NRA, because they pay his bills. And the reason why is because even though he got shot and he didn't deserve to get shot, he is still a racist, conservative, bad person and you really can't change bad people from being from bad to good unless they want to change and i just don't think he does 
that that's just my take on it, guys. But listen, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we will be talking about the Flint water crisis. That's right, the Flint water crisis. If you thought it was over, you were wrong. It is still happening, and we got some news for you. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back after this quick break. What a weird intro uh, where you, you came in thinking about Hennessy. Oh, I could have had Hennessy. You should right. said I could have had some Hennessy because Jackie's ho- hosting for me. That's because I got a good life. So I was going to see All Eyes <laughs> on Me today after the show, but it's gotten such bad reviews that I don't think I'm going to do what that. What is it? Haven't they made movies about Tupac before? Oh. No, they made documentaries, right. but this is supposed to be a movie. And someone said All Eyes on Me is like the t- like. It's like a Tupac hologram. It looks exactly like him. I want to see a documentary about the Tupac hologram. <laughs> <laughs> like how and why. That is meta and white yeah. as hell. Because <laughs> like, I remember going to the to see a Tupac movie back in, I don't know. Anyway, um, so <laughs> big news this week um, out of Flint, Michigan, which um, if you thought that the crisis in Flint was over, you were dead wrong. Mm. Um, so this was, I think, very big news this week was that the director of Michigan Health and Human Services, Nick Lyon, was one of five mis- Michigan officials to be charged with involuntary manslaughter um, for failing to alert the public of an outbreak of Legionnaire's disease linked to the Flint water crisis. So this is a very deadly disease oh. um, that was found in the water. This is something that has popped up in the Bronx um, in, I think, the past year or so. And, the, you know, it was contained. Um, it seems what, like the kind of, yeah, we have it right now on the Upper East Side. Oh, great. Yeah. But it is the kind of thing where it's, it's highly dangerous. It can be controlled if proper steps are taken. Um, But as we know in Flint, Michigan, proper steps are often not taken. And there's severe negligence that led to this crisis in the first place. Um, This inaction to alert the public was one of many unbelievable missteps by people in power that resulted in the poisoning of the people of Flint. Um, And that first started in 2014, if you can believe it. And we're still talking about this today. Um, And the people in Flint, Michigan are still suffering to this day. Um, But to help us really expand on this and talk about, you know, the history of what happened in Flint, Michigan and their water and where we are now, we have a very special guest on the line, Ramin Aminzadeh, which I apologize, uh, Ramin, if I mispronounce your name, and please correct me, who is a community organizer and activist and the director of a documentary, Bigger Than Water, which uplifts the stories of some of the most dedicated and engaged Flint residents who continue to fight for the safety of their community. Uh, Ramin, thank you for coming on and let your voice be heard. Oh, nice. I appreciate it. It's uh, Ramin and day. We'll just clear that one up off the top. Thank you. Everybody messes that up, so don't feel bad. Oh, I do, uh, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, no worries. Thank you so, so much, for Ramin. So tell us, like, uh, if you can give us, like, a brief recap. I mean, this has been years already, like, which is almost hard to believe. Yeah. Um, what happened in the first place in Flint to get us to where we are now? So it started off with, you know, bad lawmakers and bad laws, right? The governor came in when Michigan and many of its cities were were failing financially. Uh, We had to contrive bankruptcy in Detroit and basically came in with this law that was reinstated called Public Act 4, which was the emergency manager law. This put emergency financial managers at the head of about 13 cities in Flint, and it took away, stripped the power from city council, from the mayor, basically stripped the power from the people. So this man answered directly to the governor. 
um, in each city that they were placed. Uh, what ended up happening in Flint was they were getting their money, their water from Detroit had been getting it for you know decades, clean, safe water. Granted, the uh, price of water was going up, but that was due to GM leaving, the mass exodus, uh, both in Flint and Detroit, and you know less people, same amount of water, the price goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, they decided they're going to make this KWA, this new pipeline. They were going to build it, uh, and it was going to save all these people money. That's the narrative. That right. They were going to save a couple bucks, and you know this was going to be a great thing. And they were very proud of themselves for this decision, right, to switch over to the Flint River. So they sold the people on it. City council voted yes, seven to one. Let's go with the KWA. What they didn't realize is that they were going to be using the Flint River, which had been basically used as a dumping ground for industry for a hundred years. Uh, everybody in the city, you know, dead bodies. Don't eat out of it. Don't drink out of it. People do not to touch that water, not to go near it. Um, they didn't realize they were going to be using that for three years while this KWA pipeline was being built. Right. Long story short. Uh, they didn't follow EPA guidelines. They didn't use phosphates. River water is more corrosive. That river water ate away the protective lining on the lead pipes that sit under most cities uh, in America. I think there's over That's 6 right. million miles of lead pipe uh, that run through infrastructure. Ate away that protective lining, chipped off the lead and copper solder and pipes that you know run to your house and started, you know, poisoning people with lead right. on top of the water already being toxic, filled with human waste and uh, right. coli, coliform, and everything so, else you can imagine. And, you know, basically three years later, it took them a year and a half to even admit that it was happening. And the people of Flint realized right away that there was an issue, right? I mean, they were complaining almost immediately that there was a weird taste in their water, that it, there was an odor coming out of it, that they weren't feeling well after drinking it. And, I mean, how long were the people of Flint ignored until the government finally acknowledged that there was even an issue? It was about 18 months before they made the, admitted that something was wrong and that they needed to switch back. Yeah. Um, and it took them another few weeks to switch it back afterwards. But yet and still, folks are still not admitting, uh, you know, their full, uh, you know, their, their participation. Right. In it, which is why we see charges rolling out, you know, every few months. Right. So I, I guess I want to open it up to the panel as well as the guests and ask, you know, so we've seen six people who were criminally charged, five of whom charged with involuntary manslaughter um, for failing to alert the public of Legionnaire's disease that was in the water. Um, do we think that this is enough? Do we think that this is, you know, OK, finally, there is some justice for the people of Flint or that there is way more that we can see happen? Absolutely not. The people who are being charged are people on a lower level of the, as, as far as like leadership within the Snyder administration, Governor Snyder should be the first person charged, and the people directly in his, in his administration who, like you, like you know what I mean, said Jackie, were getting complaints about the water almost immediately, and were making fun of the people complaining and saying that they were poor and lazy and just ungrateful. Those should be the first people charged. Also, right. the person who sent away the the on um, the Duke investigators who were testing the water, they should also be charged. This is these these people who are being charged, yes, they have a role to play in there, but until you get the big fish, it is not enough. Right. I mean listen, I hate to break it to all of you, but I actually think that this is gonna end up in an acquittal. 
because the really? involuntary manslaughter statute that they've been charged under um, is written so narrowly. I mean, I actually, well, I should go back because this isn't really like relevant to the Flint story, but they just brought these involuntary manslaughter charges against that woman in Massachusetts, right, for the texting case. Right. And she was convicted. Right. But that's going to go up on appeal. And what the ACLU argued in that case was that the actions that she took did not rise to the level of criminal responsibility the way the statute was actually written. I actually think that's going to become a problem here. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I honestly believe that the way the statute is written, that they're going to say, well, you know, these people were negligent in what they did, but what they did doesn't rise necessarily to the level of criminality that meets the elements. You have to remember, you have to prove each and every element of the crime beyond a reasonable doubt. At least in New York, there are five different elements to an involuntary manslaughter. And if the prosecutor can't prove even one of those elements beyond a reasonable doubt, you get no conviction. Um, and I'm concerned that they, by charging them with involuntary manslaughter, which has these, like I said, many elements, some of which are going to be very difficult to prove, they're going to end up in a situation where they're going to get an acquittal and there's none of these people are actually going to be held accountable. I hope I'm wrong, but that's how I'm reading it. So I want to ask Ramin then. Ramin, what do you think? Do you think that there will be an acquittal? Do you think that this is justice for the people of Flint? I think it's the same injustice that we see in every police brutality case that comes out where we think we get justice with some charges, but on the follow-through, you see none. You see no convictions. Um, If you look at David Lyon or Nick Lyon, he was standing at the governor's side at every press conference there was. If you look at the emails that came out between the governor's chief of staff, Nick Lyon, the head of uh, MDEQ, and, and, and every other agency that was involved, in this conversation back and forth over the course of that 18 months, their emails showed that they knew everything and that they were doing anything and everything they could to, to cover it up. And that's, that's the issue here is, is beyond the negligent act and beyond trying to save a couple dollars, you know, at what point do you become criminally responsible when you know you, we know you knew and there's proof of it. So then I want to ask, what would justice look like if, you know, obviously we're all a little skeptical that it's going to be brought and, you know, rightfully so. But what would justice look like for the people of Flint? Well, here's the thing. We can start by not taking 8,000 homes, which they're trying to do right now for people that aren't able to pay their water bills. They had the highest water bills for the most toxic water. And now the new mayor is trying to take 8,000 homes from people in Flint who could not pay that water. So we can start there with let's let people keep their homes. Let's send some of that $30 million that you supposedly got. Let's give that to some people to uh, fix the pipes in their homes, change the pipes out. People are having panic, panic attacks and still getting sick, and there's PTSD and there's everything else that follows after a year and a half of your kids being sick, exposed to lead for the next six generations, your family's going to be sick and going to have some side effects. And that's 102,000 people out there. So that $30 million doesn't scratch the surface. Um, I think, you know, if people really wanted to see justice, uh, that governor would be recalled, that mayor would be recalled. All those people that worked in that, uh, that government infrastructure um, would have some charges. There's 14 sets of charges out right now. Um, I think it actually adds the 15 with the five charges with manslaughter because some people um, got charged with manslaughter after they already had been charged uh, earlier in the year. They also went after a couple um, of these organizations, Veolia, uh, for their part, and some of these um, you know firms that that had their their role in 
saying this is how you treat the water and this is how you fix it. But I don't know that we're going to see justice, and, and I'm not sure what justice looks like. I'm not a Flint resident. They should be the ones telling us what justice looks like, and, and many of them do. And if we were engaged in that conversation, um, I think we would hear some of the things that I mentioned about, you know, letting people keep their homes and, and fixing the pipes that they are stuck living in now. You're absolutely right. I think that we need to engage the people of Flint to tell us what justice would look like. And you've engaged many of the people of Flint, Michigan, in your documentary, Bigger Than Water. Um, Ramin, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, you know, how can folks follow the work that you're doing? And can you tell us a bit about your documentary and what we can expect to see when we watch it? Well, what we've seen over the last, well, well, what I've seen over my lifetime being raised by a single mother is, is that women are some of the most powerful uh, human beings in this planet. And this film really highlights five young women that, that whose families were getting hurt, who they were sick themselves, stood up, got up, stood up, and, and, and fought back and taught themselves to the science and figured out how to uh, navigate the political system in Flint. And uh, I think if you're interested in folks organizing and grassroots organization and, and how you get up, stand up, get involved, get engaged, um, you should check out this film. You can check it out at biggerthanwater.com. We're on all of uh, the social media sites at Bigger Than Water. Um, it's something that you should join the conversation. The tool, the, the, the film was always meant to be a tool for organizing activism, or organizing activists and mobilization and how you can join the fight. So, you know, read through the website, check out the trailer, hashtag Bigger Than Water, make sure you join the conversation and, and see how we can uplift powerful women and, and powerful residents that are still fighting the good fight. Thank you so much, Ramin, for that. And thank you for all the incredible work that you're doing. Um, and we definitely encourage everybody to check out your documentary, Bigger Than Water. Um, and with that, I think we're going to go on a quick break. If you want to join our conversation about the crisis in Flint, Michigan, um, next we'll be talking a bit about Trump's infrastructure plan and if it includes for the people of Flint. Spoiler, spoiler alert. No, it doesn't. Um, you can call us at 212-650-6903. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Jackie, the host, Cohen, <gasps> and of course, Alyssa Fuchs with the snapback pointed back. And if you were wondering what we were listening what, what? to, it was www.whitepeoplemusic.com. <laughs> and it was lit. But that's not what this is about. We are talking about the Flint water crisis. And we just finished talking to Ramin, the director of the documentary Bigger Than Water, who gave us pretty much a recap of what happened in Flint and what's going on now. And now Jackie will take us away for the rest. And I think it's important to know um, what Ramin was saying towards the end of our, before we cut to break, was that people still don't have replace pipes you know a lot of the money that was spent in flint michigan was spent on bottles water and on filters that don't always work i mean it depends on the level of lead contamination within the water but at the end of the day we as a country are nearing a breaking point with it when it comes to our water infrastructure right a lot of the water pipes that are underground um that are servicing our towns our cities were built with lead right there was the safe water drinking act that was enacted that reduced the amount of lead that could be used in um, in water infrastructure, um, but that's pretty recent, right? And until then, you know, we still are using these pipes. And for the most part, there hasn't been a large scale problem like there was in Flint. But as Ramin pointed out, um, using this 
you know, not treating the Flint River water source before it was brought into people's homes, corroded many of the pipes. There was chlorine that was used to treat bacteria that was in the water, corroded the pipes that leached out lead. And this isn't something that we're just seeing in Flint, although Flint is obviously an incredible case of what can go wrong when yeah. you don't treat your water. Um, we're seeing this in Cleveland, right? We're seeing this in Philly. We're seeing this in Newark. We're seeing this in Rochester, New York. We're seeing this, yeah. No, you're saying we're somewhere we're seeing this in New York in Hoosick Falls, which in is Hoosick a, Falls. Yeah, Ugh. you want to talk about no, that? No, you tell us. So, a small town in New York where their water their water um, supply has been contaminated by a company, Honeywell. And instead of looking for ways to address this issue, what has happened in New York State is that Governor Cuomo and the state's EPA have fought to put blame on the United States EPA. So they fought over that, and then when the, the townspeople tried to sue, they capped the lawsuit so that they could only sue for about nine hundred thousand dollars. Thanks a lot, Cuomo. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, like you said, Honeywell, a corporation that's poisoning, that is responsible in poisoning the people um, of Hoosick Falls, New York, and their children. I mean, this is a crisis that we're about to face, right? There's no level of lead that is safe for a child to consume, right? There are severe neurological um, impacts that lead poses, right? That are lasting, that you cannot reverse, right? Um, so you, this is something that we need to take seriously. And unfortunately, due to our aging infrastructure, we're going to start seeing things like Flint happen more and more unless we do something. Um, so I want to ask, you know, we hear a lot about Trump and infrastructure and how he has a $1 trillion infrastructure plan and how it's going to be great and it's going to make America great. And I want to ask the both of you, like, do you think that this is good, that his infrastructure plan will help mitigate some of these problems that we're seeing pop up in these cities when it comes to lead contamination? Or is his infrastructure plan going to help the people of Flint? What infrastructure plan? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> I mean, like anything else in the Trump in, uh, the Trump administration, there's a plan, but until there, we That's find the out right answer that there that really isn't actually a plan. You know, it's like tax reform or the health care bill. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get, I, I digress. I mean, number one, I don't even actually think he has a plan to fix infrastructure. No. Number two, even if he does have a plan, where's the money coming from? Because apparently, according to Republicans, for the past eight years while Barack Obama, black guy by the way, was pregnant president, um, you know, we didn't have any money to do infrastructure because, you know, we can't spend any money because the black guy's president or something like that. Um, so uh, then, th then the second question becomes is, you know, how are we paying for it, especially if Paul Ryan wants to do tax breaks for the rich people? And the third issue becomes the only infrastructure quote unquote plan um, that I have seen is one that is essentially corporate welfare that gives large handouts and tax breaks to these big multinational corporations um, in order to do construction work and is essentially a big handout to private industry um, and doesn't do anything to create any necessarily public sector jobs or reduce right. the amount of costs in order to be able to build these big projects um, without handing out more money mm -hmm. to corporations. Absolutely. So, you know, like until the Republicans can answer all three of these questions, I don't see how infrastructure is getting done period so infra infrastructure might get done under trump and it would it would be under what Alyssa described as corporate welfare i want to take one hippie step back and just say I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd i'd like for us to not call it corporate welfare because there are people who are on welfare or public assistance and they need it it's not a bad thing that's not what's happening 
with these corporations, what Donald Trump and the Republican parties would like to do is give deep tax cuts and tax incentives and property rights to these private industries and to rebuild. To them. Yes, exactly. So what would happen is a private company will come and build a highway, and now they own it. Make and America now they can, private again. And now they can put. I mean, can, that's it. They can put private tolls on there. So now, if you do the same thing in Flint, Michigan, or a lot of these poor communities where private companies come in with deep tax cuts to run this, now they pay no taxes on it, and they can add any kind of charges they want. And guess what? It makes it harder to regulate. That is the situation that we're trying to do. And the last thing you want is for private entities to be controlling right. our water supply. Because private entities want to build things fast. They want to build things cheap. And, and they want to make money. And they want to make money. And they don't care if they're poisoning 100,000 people in Flint, Michigan. If they're profiting from it, then what difference does it make to them? I mean, listen, like at the end of the day, this is just like every other hodgepodge Republican private plan. You know, like when you look at look at private prisons, for example, right. private prisons are literally some of the worst prisons Great that example. we have in America. Um, I mean, I, I keep referring to Orange is the New Black because I'm watching it right yeah. now, but it's good. Some people have complained about this this season's episodes, but I haven't because it's addressed a lot of these issues. The point that I'm saying in this is that like part of the problem with private prisons is that they're looking to make a profit off the backs of these people. So they have to keep the prisons full. Well, that's what happened when you have these private industries taking over doing roads and doing, you know, infrastructure projects. But to get away from that for a second uh, and, and that example and to actually just talk about the bigger picture issue, which is this is something that affects everybody. You know, it's not just Flint. It's not just here in New right. York that we're pointing out. Our infrastructure in this country is old. It has, And it's not just roads and tolls and bridges that you may be on a bridge that's going to collapse. It's our power grid. It's our water plant. It's our subway system. It's our subway system. All of these things are issues that, one, will affect you uh, specifically um, in that, you know, how do you know if your kid's going to have clean drinking water? But number two, these are also things that make us vulnerable to attacks by other countries through the internet because when we have unsecured power grid and unsecured infrastructure because it is old and because it is crumbling that makes that infrastructure vulnerable to cyber attacks and the cyber attacks can end up crippling the entire country so this issue is it's small and it's big it has to do with jobs and it has to do with you know infrastructure and has to do with your kid having clean drinking water but it also has to do with us not having a cyber attack that takes down the entire grid system in America which is detrimental to our entire country and our entire economy right and i think what stanley mentioned before too is that you know trump is really interested in building public private partnerships and so there are instances where that's a good thing right um i don't think under trump but i think in general but the in the type of public private partnership that he wants to build are the ones where the public pays right the public pays a tremendous amount of money and then the private benefits from it the private profits right they are the ones that get these projects and these tax breaks and they do well while the rest of us are stuck wondering if we're poisoning our children because we're giving them water from the tap right we shouldn't have to take that for granted right you're absolutely right and if you're if you're paying attention to what's happening they've been finding lead contamination in newark they found some in brooklyn and they're saying that the level of contamination that was there in their brooklyn public school was higher than that in all of flint and we should be clear because some people don't understand or don't know why it's even important to worry about lead contamination so i will tell you if your if your child is contaminated with lead it will lower their iq by three to five points it increases aggression and it slows it slows your development I, stages Go i ahead, talked Jackie. to um last year when i was working on um 
you know, getting a bill passed in New York to mandate that all schools test for lead at the tap, um, which they had not been doing. And now New York State is the first to do that in the country um, due to a loophole in the Safe Drinking Water Act. I talked to a superintendent from Rochester when um, schools and communities were having a problem with lead paint poisoning. And now um, we've seen, you know, if you rent an apartment in New York, you have to sign a waiver that says if you have kids, you get tested for lead in your apartment. Um, and he was saying that he was seeing in his school um, IQ um, rates were dropping. There was a high amount of aggression amongst the students and they tested um, level uh, tested students blood for lead um, and were able to find that 100% of the students in special education, for example, had lead poisoning. Wow. 100%. Um, and these are not things, that, you know, there's ways to adapt, but there's not, there's no cure for lead poisoning. No. Um, so, I mean, this is something that we're going to start to see, I think, more and more. The more we test, uh, this is something that I think America is sort of turning a blind eye to because we don't want to know the reality. And the reality is that we have crumbling infrastructure. It's not sexy to replace these pipes. It's not sexy to redo our electricity grid or you know rebuild our subway system it takes a long time it costs a lot of money it's not going to be favorable necessarily politically but it's something that we need right i should be able to go fill up a glass of water at my tap and you know what i'm lucky enough to live in new york city where the water is clean and well tested right but in general we Uh. we hope right but in general we shouldn't have to worry about where our water is coming from and if it's contaminated right this is like a basic this should be a basic right the right to clean drinking water that isn't going to poison you isn't going to poison your children and the kind of infrastructure that trump wants to build is infrastructure that benefits himself right it's the infrastructure that makes him rich that makes his friends rich and that screws over the rest of us so that they are you know building new bridges and new towers and all these nice things and we are wondering if our water is even safe to drink right and so what we need is real leadership we need people who are going to recognize the fact that yeah this might not be the sexiest thing to build is new water infrastructure across new york state across the united states but it's necessary. We're going to start dying if we don't have access to clean drinking water. We shouldn't ever take it for granted. Um, so with that, call your politicians. Tell them you want investment in clean and safe drinking water. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to kick it off to Alyssa with a quickie. So you mean you want America first, not I want last. America first, <laughs> not America last. Right. I scared you guys. Didn't and we are I? right on time you today. You scared Selena. She's not even I listening say, right we now, are, but somewhere. We, her we are right up. on time today. Yay. Beat that, Selena. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I am Melissa Fuchs. I am your legal correspondent. I know the team talked last week without me about um, what's going on with the Russia scandal and Robert Mueller's investigation into Donald Trump. Um, and they touched upon uh, briefly um, the obstruction of justice issue. But since this is an ongoing story that seems to only get bigger and bigger as every day goes by, Um, I thought it would be a good idea for me to come back today and give you sort of a a more legal breakdown into what obstruction
obstruction of justice is, whether or not the president may have committed it um, when he fired uh, FBI Director James Comey in February, um, and, uh, you know, what might happen next. So as I had just mentioned, James Comey got fired by the president back in February, um, and this was after uh, Trump had asked him to drop the investigation into former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Um, Obviously, we've discussed at length the FBI has been investigating Michael Flynn uh, due to his ties with Russia and failing to register as a foreign agent and generally being, um, you know, sort of a shady guy. And um, all of a sudden, after that, uh, Comey got abruptly fired. And then later on, Donald Trump went on... uh, went on some news program it's escaping me which one and after the whole weekend of his probably team, fox yeah and his no it was it was something else um, it, after a whole weekend of his team trying to like spin this story as like maybe it was about hillary clinton or maybe it was about this or that um finally donald trump was like well you know i was thinking about the russia thing when i decided to fire him um and so obviously this has become a big issue and it has fueled accusations that donald trump and the white house is obstructing justice so what is obstruction of justice? Um, so there's no real good answer on that. We have There are many different definitions, some of which are broad, some of which are narrow. Um, but the basic point of it is several federal statutes, uh, which are federal laws, criminalize actions that impede official investigations. Uh, while some of those examples um, of illegal ways to thwart the, an investigation are very specific, like, for example, if you were to kill a witness to a crime or if you were to destroy evidence of a crime, the law also includes broad catch-all provisions um, Um, For example, under Title 18 of the federal code, some of these sections have variants of language that make it a crime for someone to corruptly obstruct influence or impede any official investigation or proceeding. Uh, Generally, that means that any act that is intended to interfere with the administration of justice may constitute obstruction of justice, which is a pretty broad standard. Uh, There are many different kinds of obstruction of justice that are covered by federal and state laws, um, and there are many different acts that may constitute obstruction of justice. So what are some of those acts? Well, I just mentioned two. If you kill a witness or if you destroy evidence. Um, But obstruction may also uh, consist of attempting to hinder discovery, uh, to hinder apprehension of a person, to hinder conviction or punishment of anybody who has committed a crime. Um, Acts by which justice is obstructed may include bribery, murder, intimidation, the use of physical force, the use of threats, law enforcement against law enforcement officials, court officials, or even it could extend to the firing of somebody who's actually investigating you. So the purpose of obstruction of justice laws is that um, we don't want there to be influence um, and we don't want people in official positions of power to influence, delay, or prevent the communication of information to law enforcement officers to influence, delay, or prevent court testimony or to alter or destroy evidence or invade a subpoena or similar court process, which means like ignore a subpoena when they're subpoenaed to testify or to produce evidence. Um, So the real question here is, could Um, asking the FBI director to drop part of an investigation and then later firing him qualify as obstruction of justice. Uh, Legal scholars have sort of differed on this. Um, Some of them, most legal scholars actually say it could qualify. Um, Some, very few, have said no, it actually has to go farther into the actual intimidation or the killing or the destruction of evidence. Um, But then there also becomes the political issue of what is the remedy if there is actually an obstruction of justice. So, as I said, 
in theory, yes, um, the power relationship between a president and the FBI director could, in fact, elevate a request to shut down an investigation um, into an act that amounts to impeding an official investigation. Um, so that raises a whole host of other questions. Like, for example, did Donald Trump have the lawful authority to fire James Comey? The answer to that is actually yes. But courts have ruled that otherwise lawful acts can nonetheless qualify as obstruction of justice, depending on whether or not it's done with a corrupt intention. And so if Donald Trump was doing this firing with the corrupt intention, meaning for the purposes of impeding the Russia investigation, and that his mental state was to impede the Russia investigation, then that could qualify. On the other hand, if Donald Trump was just like, well, you know, I don't really like James Comey and, you know, it has nothing really to do with the Russia investigation, then that may not qualify. So that at the end of the day goes sort of to what was in Donald's head when he decided to take these actions. Um, so what <laughs> I would, like Stanley West. Yeah, I know. So, well, that re- leads me to my next question. What would such a case entail? Um, so obstruction and justice cases often come down to whether prosecutors can prove a defendant's mental state uh, when they committed the act, which is what I was just talking about that Stanley laughed about. It is not enough to show that a defendant knows the act would have a side effects or side consequence of impeding investigation. Achieving that obstruction has to be the specific intention of the person who commits the act. So basically that means is if you know that firing James Comey might impede the Russia investigation, but that's not your real reason for firing him, that's not enough. It does not rise to the level of obstruction. It only rises to the level of obstruction if you fire him specifically because you know by firing him it will make it more difficult for the government to look into you or the Russia investigation in this case. Um, So the evidence of improper purpose has gotten much stronger since the day of Comey's firing. Uh, Trump has actually made admissions about this, as I was mentioning earlier, when he went on the TV and he said, I fired James Comey because of the Russia thing. I was (laughs) thinking about the Russia thing. And then he constantly is tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and talking about Comey and the firing and the Russia thing. So actually, Donald Trump is doing what every lawyer tells their client not to do, which is he's not shutting up. If he knew what he was good for him, he would just shut the F up and he would stop tweeting and stop talking about it and stop giving interviews admitting to potentially committing the crime um, because that is not helping. Um, And now we have actually been able to compile some evidence that indicates he may have had an improper purpose then based on his communications with Comey and with other officials and all these other people that the Congress is looking into. Um, So what impediments would there be to charging Mr. Trump? Um, And this is sort of something I talked about a couple weeks back when I did the impeachment quickie, which is it is not realistic to expect the Trump administration's Department of Justice to indict or charge a sitting president. Um, That is not usually something that happens. That is partially because the president has pardon power. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to charge the president with a crime, in theory, he could pardon himself, uh, which leads one real remedy, and that is impeachment. Um, Again, I talked about that at length, but basically if asking the FBI to drop an investigation qualifies as obstruction of justice, it would be an impeachable offense. As a practical matter, the Constitution uh, standard for impeachment is if the president has committed treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, And that is meant that anything a majority or two-thirds of the Senate and the House are willing to vote for. So then it now becomes really more of a political calculus than a legal calculus. Mm. I will end by saying this. If Hillary Clinton would have done half 
maybe actually even a quarter of the things that Donald Trump has done since, you know, he entered office. She would, the Republicans in Congress would have started impeachment proceedings like five minutes into her presidency. <laughs> if Barack Obama would have done even a, a 0.1% yeah. of the things that Donald Trump has done since he has become president, Republicans would have started impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump, uh, sorry, against Barack Obama before you could say the word, I don't know, Barack Obama. And so this also boils down to just the level of political hypocrisy we've, we have seen um, since, I want to say 2010, but even before then, where it is no longer putting your country first. It is instead putting your party first. Nixon resigned for less um, and because he was going to get impeached and by his own party, sort of. Um, there's no reason why, if it actually proves to be true that Donald Trump obstructed justice, that there should not at least be articles of impeachment drafted and voted on, or at, and at minimum, a trial where the Senate determines whether or not he gets removed. And there you have it, guys. Donald Trump, there's a chance that he could get slammed for obstruction of justice. And why? Because he is the master of dry snitching on himself. Self. I can only hope that this happens and then he starts dry snitching on Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and everyone in his administration until we are forced to have a new election and probably just get Hillary or Bernie or maybe Barack can come back for a couple of months. <laughs> I don't know. Anybody Michelle, but Trump. I will, I will take an empty dime bag that like has like <laughs> salt crusted on its sides over anyone in the Trump administration. But anyways, guys, we had to wrap this show up. I would like to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I would also like to say happy not a Father's Day to guys like me who have mastered the art of not having children. I am very proud of that. Be proud of yourself too. That you know about? You know what? That's probably true. (laughs) Anyways, um, we... We had a great show. We miss you, Selena, but she'll be back next week, I think. No, we don't. We don't miss her. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> no, we do. Come back. She's going to hit us and go. It's an anarchy. I love you, She's going to hit us and go, ah! Next you week. You know we got to throw some shade her we way. We do. We do. Next week, Alyssa will be gone because she'll be having a great time at the, at Pride, the Pride Parade. Parade. And I kind of want to go now. I'll probably might meet you afterwards. Do get it. up. But guys, this has been another great episode. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a Patreon account patreon.com forward slash beer heard radio become a subscriber and by the way cohen family i got you with your shirts i'm working on those <gasps> yay end of the month promise so that's been another action-packed episode of let your voice be heard we're wrapping this up and by the way the underdogs are coming on guess who that is that's greg and he's got a full docket of things to talk about so be excited be very i'm excited very excited this is not